It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? On November 17, 2012, Two fishermen took their modest boat out on the Pacific Ocean from a small Mexican port for a day trip. It was the first time that Salvador Alvarenga and Ezequiel Cordoba had worked together. Overtaken by a violent storm, they were able to send out one distress signal before their radio, GPS, and outboard motor died. Driven into the open sea, they drifted for weeks, tormented by thirst, eating fish, turtles, and seabirds, they caught with their bare hands. From time to time, a thunderstorm would provide a little fresh water that they caught in plastic bottles and in an oil drum they had retrieved from the sea. In this small open boat, with no protection from the sun or cold, they spent a great deal of time huddled together in the insulated fish box that was about the size of a refrigerator. Gradually sickened by the diet, Cordoba stopped eating, and he died after 10 weeks. Though desperately lonely, Alvarenga refused to give up. He often prayed and said that if God would spare him, he'd be a better man and more dedicated as a father. Then on January 30, 2014, Alvarenga's tattered boat washed up on the Iban Atoll in the southernmost tip of the Marshall Islands, 6,000 miles from where he had started. Adrift, for 438 days, Jose Salvador Alvarenga holds the record for the longest solo survival at sea. Can you imagine that? There's a picture of him there uh, a few days after he had been rescued and they uh, had actually gotten him where he could get up on his feet again when he first washed ashore on that island. I've been to the Marshall Islands. I've been to uh, Majuro. um, And that's when he's landing there. He just started walking again. When he first landed, he had to crawl because he hadn't stood, and, and barely stood, I should say, in a year and an incredible story of someone surviving by themselves catching rainwater turtles he'd grab sharks out of the water he'd grab the little fish he'd eat the barnacles off the bottom of the boat it's just an amazing amazing story but one thing that i didn't share that uh, was in the it's not in the amazing fact i just read is that um, his friend ezekiel cordoba was a born-again christian alvarenga was not he was kind of against church he believed in God, but, and before he died, Alvarenga, uh, uh, Cordoba rather, um, worked on his friend's heart and uh, softened his heart. He ended up uh, turning to God um, and um, redeemed his life. He went back home and became a good father and gave up his wild partying ways. And it really was a conversion experience for him. So he was rescued in more than one, more than one way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we've got an offer that, ta- oh, I, when there's a verse, friends, I, I always like to put in a Bible verse that goes along with our fact. Psalm 107, verse 23 and 24. 
Those who go down to the sea in the ships, who do business on the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Well, he sure got to see the wonders of the deep for quite a period of time. It is an amazing story of just determination. Uh, doubtless, his prayers made a difference because you know, he was praying there near the end. He realized that his only help was God. And yet for him to be, survive that long, not only just living on whatever he could find, the fish and drinking the rainwater, but just being by himself in the middle of the ocean for so long, uh, you would think you know somebody would give up, but he just refused to give up. Yeah, and you know I could go on and on. It's quite a story, but there were about twenty times that tankers went by, mm. and he would wave, and they'd wave back. They just thought he was out fishing. He was trying to get rescued, and he'd see planes fly over and tankers go by, and they just didn't stop. And so then you get real discouraged for a while. Sure, absolutely. Well, we do have a free offer, Pastor Doug, that talks about a, a much more important rescue, and that is called Rescue from Certain Death, Save from Certain Death. That is the free offer. It talks about salvation. I mean, whatever happens here on this earth, if we are saved from eternal destruction, we have hope, we have peace. And so that's the free offer. How can we have the assurance of salvation? It's called Save from Certain Death to receive it. All you need to do is call the resource number. That's 800-835-6747 and ask for offer number 109. Again, the number to call is 800-835-6747 and you can ask for the gift. It's called Saved from Certain Death. We'll be happy to send it to anyone in North America. If you're outside of North America, we encourage you to go to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org. And you can actually read the lesson there for free. You can enroll in the free Amazing Facts online course. And I know many folks have been blessed by going through those series of lessons. And that's all available at amazingfacts.org. Well, Pastor Doug, we've got some folks who have called in with their Bible questions. If you have a Bible-related question, the number to call again is 800-463-7297. Again, that's 800-463-7297. That is the phone line to our studio with your Bible question. Our first caller this evening is Diane, listening in uh, British Columbia. Diane, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yes, I have a question. I have a friend who's just picking up the Bible, and she's reading through the Old Testament, and she's really struggling with all of God's violence that's talked about in the Old Testament, and it's making her question how God can be loved. And I'm just wondering, where do I start by helping her to see the love of God when she's reading this? Well, one really important place to direct her is the teachings of Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, so she wants to understand something about what God is like. The God in the Old Testament is the same God that you see in Jesus. And God is love. This is what the apostles saw, the love and the compassion of Jesus. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, you're often reading about God leading a nation. And those nations were often warring and so God, not wanting his people to be annihilated, they had to defend themselves. You know, God does not, um, he does not want anyone to die. The Bible tells us the Lord does not want anyone to perish. And in the book of Ezekiel, it says, turn ye, turn ye, why will you die? Uh, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But because of sin in the world, and because there are sinful people, sometimes there was war, and sometimes there was violence, and, and, uh, I know some people, Pastor Ross, struggle with just the idea of the sacrificial system. You know, mm -hmm. why would these innocent animals die? And it tells us something about the, the deadly nature of sin. And despite the violence and the war that you do read about in the Old Testament, because it's talking about different kingdoms, you also get amazing revelations of God's love, his mercy, his long suffering with Israel, 
and his protection. I'm just thinking of children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, how God fed them with the special food from heaven, how he gave them water from the rock, how that God forgave them time and time again from their rebelliousness. And throughout the history of, of Israel, you can see how God's mercy was there and um, how he forgave them. Yep. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Diane. We've got Lee listening in uh, North Carolina. Lee, Lee, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, pastors. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yeah. My question is about Genesis um, and the um, actually the Sabbath. Chapter 2 in Genesis, right, God sanctified the day. Mm-hmm. And then in Exodus, you have the Ten Commandments, where, of course, the you know Sabbath is the fourth. My question is, how did God communicate to the Jews about the Sabbath? Because Noah wasn't a Jew. Did he know about the Sabbath? Did he keep the Sabbath? How did God communicate that before the actual laws? Yeah, you can find where Pastor Ross might find the reference where it talks about Abraham. Now, Abraham's not a Jew. Uh, you know, Abraham lived before they ever went through the Exodus and came to Mount Sinai. And the Bible says, Abraham kept my laws, my statutes, and my judgments. And I don't remember if that's Genesis 25. Genesis 26, verse 5. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to read the whole verse there? Yeah, it says, speaking of Abraham, he obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So God had law. Uh, The Bible tells us that God told um, Cain that sin was at the door when he murdered his brother. He was, uh, that was clearly a sin. And God told Joseph that um, adultery would be a sin when Potiphar's wife tempted him. And before the children of Israel got to Mount Sinai, the bread from heaven would rain down uh, six days a week but there'd be none on the seventh day of the week. And God said, this is the Sabbath. So I do believe when Noah was building the ark, he took off every Sabbath day. I don't think he worked seven days a week. And um, that they knew about that day of rest. Man has always needed that rest physically and as our quality time with God. That's why Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. And the word there, man, is it's not Jew. It's anthropos. It means humanity. So God gave Adam and Eve the Sabbath back in the garden, and they passed it on. Faithful kept it. Those unfaithful did not keep it, as with the other commandments. You know, we do have a study guide that talks about that. It's called The Lost Day of History, and it goes back into the history of the Sabbath and how that was established at creation. If you'd like to learn more about that, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for that free offer. It's called The Lost Day of History. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. It's 800-835-6747. Thanks for your call, Lee. We've got uh, Maya listening from uh, North Dakota. Maya, welcome to the program. Okay, so my question is, I've been studying Ezekiel, and at the end of Ezekiel... God takes him in a vision, and the angels measuring the um, the sanctuary on earth, the heaven sanctuary, or the new Jerusalem. I'm confused on what's going on at the end of Ezekiel. All right. Ezekiel is one of the four apocalyptic prophets in the Bible, meaning that God spoke to them in these visions that were full of symbols and not always to be taken literally. It's like when you get to Revelation, it talks about a woman riding a beast with seven heads. Well, that's not real. Those symbols, you know, the woman represents a church. There it's a fallen church. Um, In Ezekiel, the temple of God, you know, the Bible says, what, don't you know that you are the temple of God, is what Paul tells us. And so when Ezekiel is measuring the temple, it's also there's a measuring of the temple in Revelation that is referring back to Ezekiel. And um, 
it's talking about really a, a judgment of God's people. So all these things it's talking about, that beautiful temple in Ezekiel, I think are in symbolic language. Yeah, because there, there's no time in history, in Jewish history or to the present time, when that temple was physically built. First of all, it was huge. It's much bigger than when they rebuilt the temple. And then you, you read about the river, and he says, you know, he, he goes into this river that's a mile long, and, and uh, a mile wide, I should say, and he, um, you know, halfway in, he's only up to his thighs. It's this huge river. And then he talks about the trees by the river uh, continually bear fruit and their leaves are for healing or for medicine. Well, that's taken from like Revelation where it says the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nation. So a lot of parallels between Ezekiel, especially to the last chapters there, and Revelation. They should probably be studied together. That's right. So one might even understand that as to... Uh be a symbolic representation of the sanctuary in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem that we read about where the, where the river is flowing forth, the river of life that flows out. So there's some parallels there in that study with Revelation. Thanks for your call. We've got Caleb listening in New York. Caleb, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Ross and Pastor Doug Bashford. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for calling. Thank you for picking up. Two questions. I want to know if Daniel Levin has any correlation with what's going on in Russia right now. And my other question is, is that I live with one, one of my friends. I have a lot of friends that aren't Christians. And one time, not too long ago, I had a discussion with one of my friends. I didn't want to get to, like, he was very passionate about what he believes. But I feel like I didn't say enough to defend God. Do you think God's going to punish me for that? Like, because I, I was just like, I told, I said, told him the truth. But I wasn't like very like forward about it. Like yeah. I think I was trying to avoid an argument. Do you think God's going to punish you for that? I know exactly how you feel. It's often true and don't be discouraged. I think Pastor Ross will say that there's probably times that he also has thought after talking to someone about the Lord, did I say the right thing? Did I say enough? Did I miss an opportunity? That happens every day. And you know, if we do miss an opportunity or say something wrong or don't say enough, and sometimes I've been ashamed at being ashamed, uh, you know, sharing my faith, you ask God to forgive you and you move on. I mean, even Peter, he boldly denied Christ and Jesus forgave him. So uh, it's wrong. We should pray that God helps us to be faithful and courageous and accurate and bold. Uh, even Paul says, pray for boldness because sometimes we're intimidated to be timid. So, but don't be discouraged if that happens, because I think every believer uh, has times where we think, oh, I wish I'd done a better job. Does that, does that help, Caleb? Oh, now you asked about, we never did answer your question about Daniel 11. So, um, yeah, I, as far as Daniel 11 and what's happening now with the, um, the conflict in the Ukraine with Russia, uh, Daniel 11 does cover the panorama of history from the time of, I guess it's from Persia to, because Babylon's already falled when it be fallen. So it covers the time of history from Persia to the second coming. And so yeah, it's got Michael standing up in the great final time of trouble in the resurrection. So it covers that time span. I don't think there's any verses that particularly mention the battle that's going on in Russia with Ukraine right now. Um, it does talk about a number of wars, but I don't know of anything that would allude to that in Daniel 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Daniel, especially Daniel 9, 11, you've got some time periods. Well, Daniel 11 too. It's, it's, 
it's covering a lot, much larger time period than just a few years. It's talking about hundreds of years, thousands of years that's been reviewed within that within that chapter. Kind of sweeping overview, very quick. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Caleb. We've got uh, Aaron listening in New York. Aaron, welcome to the program. Hello, pastors. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. My question is: Was Noah and his three sons alive when the Tower of Babel was being built? Good question. As far as Noah, let me think. I think after the flood, he still lives about 300 years. So there's a good chance definitely his sons were still alive because Shem lived all the way to the time of Abraham. And, and uh, you know, the Tower of Babel had been uh, considerably before that. So you go from, it's not long after Shem that you end up with Terah and Haran, the parents of and brother of Abraham. Um, so uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that Noah had moved to the Mesopotamian Valley where they built the tower. So Noah may have been alive. It's you know, A lot of people went down there and they congregated in um, the, the land of Sinar, and that's where they built the Tower of Babel. Not everybody went. Noah may have stayed somewhere in the foothills of Ararat where the ark settled. Mm -hmm. You know, we do have a... a Interesting timeline that's available online. It's a website that Amazing Facts has, Bible Timeline. And uh, if you were to look that up, you could actually page through it and you can see the time of Noah and then see who was alive at the time and after that and when Noah died and what was happening. It's just very informative. So you might want to take a look at that. Just go to the Amazing Facts website. Uh, and I you think can it's BibleHistory.com. Bible History. Is that what it is? Yeah. I'm looking it up, but I think so. Okay, yes. We have a number of websites, friends, if you're wondering about that, but this is one that Amazing Facts put together that is a great resource for people wanting to study the Bible and get an idea of the timelines, biblehistory.com or .org, and uh, take a look at that. A lot of good information. We've got Lance listening from Texas. Lance, welcome to the program. Yeah, also, um, I know that Ellen White... She wrote a prophecy, and it pretty much says that um, there's going to be people alive from her time um, for the second coming of Christ. And uh, if that's the case, I guess then it must be really close, because um, we're the longest living person ever for this modern era. It's like 122 years, so I would like to know what's your take on that. Yeah, well, I, I think I know what you're talking about. She made this one statement in the book Prophets and Kings where she talks about in the days of Queen Esther, there was a law that um, all of God's people had to worship a certain way or they were going to be killed. And she said, you know, there's some living on the earth today that will see those words fulfilled. Well, there already have been some people that have lived to see the words fulfilled that if you didn't worship a certain way, you'd be killed. There are people who are killed for their faith all the time. Uh, you know, if she was talking specifically about uh, the second coming there and the final events, um, you know, it, she could have been talking in what you call hyperbole. And what I mean by that is Paul, for instance, said um, the gospel's been preached in all the world. Well, he meant, you know, in the Roman Empire. Um, and so when she made a statement like that, if she's speaking in hyperbole, she means we're really near the end. You know, something else to bear in mind, whenever you read the New Testament and you read, for example, Paul, he speaks of being alive at the second coming of Christ. It says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up to meet them and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
The prophet in vision never saw himself coming up amongst those who are resurrected. They always see themselves amongst those who are alive at the second coming of Christ. That doesn't mean, of course, that you know Paul was wrong in saying that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. But in vision, he always saw himself amongst those who were saved. Yeah, they call it the blessed hope. Mm-hmm. So you want to also bear that in mind as you study through these different um, prophetic passages of the Bible. All right, well, thanks for your call, Lance. We've got Jerry listening in Arizona. Jerry, welcome to the program. Thank you, pastors, for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my question is, in the Gospels, when it refers to Jesus' resurrection, they all say on the first day of the week. Well, I kind of discovered that um, the word week is actually plural in Greek, and it's the word for Sabbath. Um, which some people talk about referring the beginning of the seven weeks to Pentecost. So I'm I'm just wondering how this how people can tie this to to worship. Yeah, well, I, it's there's no question that Jesus rose on what would be called the first day of the week or Sunday, because it says after the Sabbath was passed. Well, what do you have after the Sabbath? If the Sabbath is the seventh day and there's only seven days in a week, after the Sabbath has passed, all you've got left is the first day. And so um, uh, Jesus clearly rose very early in the morning of what you would call the first day of the week. Now, I don't think that's, that initiates Sunday as a new day of worship. Uh, there's no command in the Bible anywhere that we are to remember the first day or Sunday as the new Sabbath or the Lord's day. Well, if you use that argument, Pastor, I know there are some folks who say we've got to honor Sunday because that's the day of the resurrection. Well, what is more important, his death on Calvary, which happened on a Friday, or his resurrection on Sunday? Both are equally important. Without his substitutionary death, there'd be no hope for a resurrection. So just because those are historical facts and those are the days that those things occurred, it doesn't now somehow make it a new day of worship. Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to change the old day. God didn't make a mistake. Right. (laughs) When Ten Commandments are written in stone, and they're not multiple choice. You know, we did mention a a free offer a little while ago. It's called The Lost Day of History. And again, we want to encourage those, if you've never read what the Bible has to say about uh, the Sabbath and the blessings of the Sabbath, call and ask for that. We'll be happy to send it to you. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for that uh, free offer. It's called The Lost Day in History. And if you have a Bible question, we have a few lines open. The number to call is 800-463-7297. That's 800-463-7297. Next caller that we have is uh, Israel listening from Washington. Israel, welcome to the program. So my question is, when God uh, delivered the Israelites from slavery uh, in Egypt, uh, from from my understanding, he basically took them on a crusade wiping out every ungodly people uh, by killing every man, woman, and child that was ungodly until they got to the promised land. So if I choose to fight for my country, and let's say I go to war and I'm going to have to kill, if these people are ungodly, um, am I sinning by choosing to take that route? yeah, I think it would be uh, I think it would be wrong. You know, Jesus talks about Christians um, not killing. You know, he came. He said, "I did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them." And just to be clear, uh, the children of Israel, first of all, in the wilderness, the only ones that they uh, fought against and annihilated were the Amalekites. Or they fought against. They didn't even annihilate them. Then there were some pagan nations that were 
uh, bent on destroying Israel, and so they were told to fight against them. The, the interpersonal laws of the Christian are different from civil laws. God's laws, or you know, even national laws, God's laws regarding uh, civil things was under a, what they call a theocracy. Uh, we are not under a theocracy that is led by God. We're under you know, d- democracy that's led by faulty humans. And so I think that a person needs to think long and hard about going to war and taking up arms to shoot a person. Now, don't misunderstand. I have tremendous respect for um, young men and women, two of them being, I've got a son and daughter that were in the, uh, the service. I'm so thankful the freedoms that they defend. But I think as a Christian, you need to be very careful about um, saying that I'm going to take up arms. I think if you're going to defend your country, try and find some area where you can do it, where um, maybe you could help save life or do it in a medical field or something. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Pastor Doug, there are examples. Uh, you mentioned that Israel at the time, they were being led by God. The cloud led them, the pillar of fire by night. Prior to them going into war, God would communicate to Moses and give them instructions. In some cases, it was uh, a very um, decisive battle where the purpose was to remove an ungodly group of people. But there were other times where God would actually say, no, leave them alone or you know, save the woman and children. So God was actually leading and directing Israel. Part of the reason why Israel went into captivity for the 400 years, um, God said to Abraham, because the iniquity is not yet full of the land. So God had given them a 400 years of probationary time before Israel returned to the promised land before the judgments came upon them. And they knew about Abraham, and they were witnesses for the truth during that time period. Um, but God was, was giving them time to make a decision. So it was a unique situation. Yeah, it was yeah, a judgment. It was. Different from today. All right, well, thank you for your call, Israel. You know, Pastor Doug, I'm looking at the clock. We've got about a minute before we take our break. It probably wouldn't be fair to um, take another call. But friends, if you have a Bible question, we've got another 30 minutes that's going to be following our break here, uh, taking your Bible questions. The number to call is 800-463-7297. And uh, if you don't get through right away, just stay on the line. One of our call screeners will contact or or talk to you. Again, the number is 800-463-7297. And uh, it's a good time now to call. We'll get you call on the, on the program. You know, might also be a good time to mention that we have an important event that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. We're going to be in Las Vegas broadcasting a brand new series called Inspiration, the Bible's Greatest Stories. You can watch on AFTV, 3ABN, Facebook, and YouTube. And hope you'll go to that website and invite your friends to tune in. We're coming back with more Bible questions in just a moment, so don't go away. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. The U.S. government is drowning in debt to the tune of $22 trillion. But before you wag your finger at the government spending, the Federal Reserve says the average American household carries over $137,000 in debt. Well, it was never God's plan that we live with a burden of debt. Proverbs 22.7 warns us, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Living with debt is a stressful burden that actually hurts your relationship with God. In my new pocketbook, Deliverance from Debt, I outline the Bible principles on how to properly manage your money with some practical suggestions on how you can get out and stay out of debt. 
If you or someone you love is drowning in debt, order a copy of Deliverance from Debt today. It can be a lifesaver to keep you from going under. Please call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Heroes are in short supply these days. We're talking about godly men and women who can show us how to live victoriously by faith. That's why Pastor Doug is presenting Inspiration, the Bible's greatest stories, live from March 11th through the 19th at the Las Vegas Paradise Church Auditorium, 4575 South Sand Hill Road at 7 p.m. Together, we'll learn from Scripture how to live for God in these troubled times. For more information, visit greateststories.org. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at AFTV.org. At AFTV.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And those who have joined us along the way, this is a live international interactive Bible study. And you're invited to call in with your Bible questions and we're going to go back to the phones right away. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross. And Pastor Doug, we'd like to just remind folks that uh, you might be listening to this program on the radio because we broadcast both on land base as well as satellite radio. But we're also live streaming on Amazing Facts uh, Facebook page, on the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. I believe it's also on um, the YouTube channel, Amazing Facts YouTube channel, as well as on Amazing Facts TV and Good News TV. So there's all kinds of ways that you can stay in contact with us. And um, yeah, let us know that you're out there. And if you have a Bible question, we'd love to hear from you. Next caller that we have is Christine listening in Florida. Christine, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Thank you for taking the call. And just one, one question. How do we submit our will to God? How do we know that we're actually doing, you know, submitting our will to God? Well, that is the big question. Uh, The biggest battle that Jesus fought was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, you know, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And that battle was so intense. He prayed that prayer three times and he was perspiring blood. The Bible describes it as an agony. So the biggest battle that any of us wage, and it's on a day-to-day basis, is saying, not what I want, Lord, but what you want. So how do you know if you're doing that? Uh, well, you um, day by day ask yourself, am I doing my will or God's will? God's will is revealed in God's law and in the teachings of Jesus. And I think we do have a book that talks about how can we know the will of God. And in there is a section on how do we do the will of God. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We'll be happy to send that to anyone wanting to learn more about knowing and doing the will of God. It's called How to Determine the Will of God. And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And we'll be happy to send you this free book anywhere in North America. Again, the number is 800-835-6747. How to Determine the Will of God is the name of the book. So just ask for it. Thanks for your call, Christine. We got uh, Teresa listening in Washington, D.C. Teresa, welcome to the program. Hi, good evening, Pastor. Evening. Great. I have a question uh, regarding Revelation uh, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, where it states that the first vial is poured out upon the earth, and the men which had the mark of the beast and uh, them which worship his image. It, is that the close of probation? And the people that receive um, this this um, this mark, the gre uh, the grievous sores, will they have a chance to repent at that time? Uh, no, they. When the seven last plagues begin to fall, and there in Revelation chapter sixteen, you have the first plagues, and you get first, second, third plagues in the first four verses. There, um, once the plagues begin to fall probation is closed. And Pastor Ross, that verse in Revelation 22, where it says, uh, he that is just, let him be just still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. It kind of indicates that once you reach the close of probation, the saved are saved, the lost are lost, and there's the door of mercy is closed. Yeah, you have Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, where you have Jesus saying, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And then the very next verse, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work. So the close of probation precedes the second coming of Christ. And once probation closes, then you have what the Bible calls the wrath of God, which is the seven last plagues that are poured out. But God's people are protected during that time of, of plagues. Some people ask, well, why does God send the plagues if it's too late for people to change sides? Well, the plagues help to reveal the heart of every person. If you read a little further in the plagues, instead of the wicked repenting when they realize that these plagues are coming because of their sins, they harden their hearts and they curse God for sending the plagues. So it reveals to the whole universe um, that there's nothing more God can do to try and save these people. Their hearts are fully set towards evil. Yeah, it says when you come to the fourth plague and men are scorched with great heat, in verse 9, this is Revelation 16, verse 9. And it says, They were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over the plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. They didn't humble themselves. They blasphemed God. They hardened their hearts like Pharaoh when the plagues fell. And, um, yeah, probation's closed for them at this time. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Teresa. We've got uh, Benita listening from North Carolina. Benita, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Good evening. Evening. My question, I've been trying to determine what is the chronological order of when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, why was he kicked out specifically, and when was he cast to earth? Was it before or after the creation of the world? All right. Well, I think you're going to find in, uh, I think it's in Ezekiel 28, where it says you, you have sinned and therefore you were cast out. So he was cast out because of his rebellion and his sin. 
He wanted God's uh, position. So if you read in Ezekiel 28 and read in Isaiah 14, uh, I think you'll find there it uh, describes what the Lucifer's goals were and what his sins were, why he was cast out. Yeah, with reference to the sequence that you mentioned, you find in Revelation chapter 12, it says there was war in heaven and the devil lost and he was cast out, he and his angels. Well, this appears to have happened before the creation of the earth, this rebellion or this war in heaven. Once the earth was created, then of course Lucifer had already been cast out of heaven. He was able to tempt Adam and Eve and then he claimed the earth as his because the loyalty that Adam was to give to God, he now gave to the devil. So the devil claimed to be the representative of the earth. But we do find another verse in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. And verse 11 says, They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. So at the cross, the devil is cast down again. So he's cast out of heaven before creation, but at the cross he's cast down in a sense, meaning that he is isolated to the earth because now Jesus is the rightful representative of those who put their faith and trust in him. So the devil is cast out before creation. He's cast down in a sense at the cross. And that's Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 that talks about salvation has come and the devil has been cast down. Yes. Thank you, Benita. Next caller that we have is Carol listening in New Jersey. Carol, welcome to the program. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for taking my call, Pastor Ross and Pastor John. So my quick question is, um, in in Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. So my question is, what is the difference between this faith and presumptuous faith? Because if you're if you're moving according to believing, um, how can it how can it reach to the point where it becomes presumptuous? Well, that is really a good question. Uh, there is a difference between uh, having faith, moving forward faith, and having a presumptuous faith. Uh, you know, I'll give you just a quick example. Um, some pastors, when they feel impressed, they're supposed to build a church. Some will say, let's start building before we have the money. And uh, other pastors will say, that's presumption. You should be, you know, raising some of the money and so that you're not, you know, starting a tower and you don't finish. And then there are other pastors who say, you ought to have all the money before you start building. And so it's interesting to see these different perspectives. Um, you know, I think sometimes if you find yourself in dire straits, you can believe that God will save you, but you don't want to jump off a cliff or cast yourself from the temple and say, I've got faith that angels are going to catch me. That's called presumption. So that's where you start tempting the Lord and saying that it's faith. Uh, so I don't know, does, does that make sense, um, Carol? If you put yourself in a position out of uh, the reach of the expectation of, of what you might do in opposing to what, God will do according to his will. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit confused at that. Well, you know, I, you, if you're spirit-led, let me just say this. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to ask you to do really strange things. Like, you know, he's going to ask you to march around a city and blow a trumpet and expect the walls to fall. Or he's going to ask you to step off in the Jordan River when it's flooding and the river will stop. Uh, so I... I think I want to be clear that if you look in the Bible, you're going to see that people of faith are led by the Holy Spirit to do things that may not make any sense at all. And uh, 
and God blesses. And when Elijah prays and fire comes down, that took faith. And he prayed again, it didn't rain. Um, then he prayed, it did rain. So, uh, but I think, you know, living day to day, you know, we may not always feel the Holy Spirit urging or guiding. If you see something in the word of God, step out in faith on what the word says, regardless of what you might see or feel. And God will bless your faith when it's based on the word. You know, I've heard one person put it this way. They said, do what you know God wants you to do and then leave the results with him. So every day, you know, try and do everything we can in our power to accomplish what we believe God is wanting us to do and then leave the results with him. For example, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he asked, well, how much food do you have? Well, they had a few loaves and fish and Jesus took that and then he multiplied it and he fed more than 5,000 people. So we ought to do what we can from a human perspective and trust God, have faith in God that he will bring about to pass what he has promised. That's right. Good in point. other words, somebody says, oh, you know, I want God to give me a job. Well, if they're just going to be sitting at home waiting for somebody to knock on their door and offer them a job, well, that's maybe presumption. But mm -hmm. if they're out there doing the best they can and they're looking for a job, well, then they can trust that God will open and direct them to the right place. Yeah, it's not in the Bible, but it is true that God helps those that help themselves. Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> it's practical, yeah. Well, thanks for your call, Carol. Rachel is listening in Kansas. Uh, Carol, uh, Rachel, welcome to the program. I am reading the Bible from front to back, and God speaks words to Moses and Joshua, and and he says, fear not, do not be afraid. Um, I'm with you. Be courageous. Yes, and in today's time, people like to share scripture with you when whenever you're having hardship or something. Is there a scripture in the Bible that allows us to take those words that God said to either Moses or Joshua or whoever and actually use them in our time? Good question. Um, where is it, Pastor Ross, where Peter says, For given unto us are exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. See, friends, I'm dyslexic. I remember the verse. I don't remember the verse, but I remember the, uh, the words. So he says, there are promises given to us in Scripture that by these we might become partakers of the divine nature. So when I read God and Moses saying to Joshua, be courageous, be courageous, be very courageous, and that's in, I think, chapter 1 of Joshua, I think I can apply that to me, that God is saying that if I'm willing to do his will, I can be courageous and know that he's with me. So the God hasn't changed. And so the same promises and assurances that God gives his prophets through history, they apply to me. He also gave them conditions. So if we're following the conditions that he gives them, we can claim the same promises that he gives them. And of course, not only do we have the examples in the Old Testament where God says, do not be afraid do not fear. But we find that repeated by Jesus in the, New, in the New Testament where he says, don't be afraid. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. God will take care of you. If you seek first the kingdom, all these things shall be added. So those principles that we see in the Old Testament, they repeat it in the New Testament. That's right. Yeah. yeah without a doubt. Very good. All right. Next caller that we have is uh, Rog listening from Michigan. Rog, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yes. I, I, I need you to elaborate on Daniel's vision where he saw this image it had brass, it had tin, it had iron, and it had gold, and it symbolizes the different civilizations up to modern day. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Sure. And, uh, you know, before I even get into it, I won't be able to cover it all in just a few minutes, but 
uh, we'll give you a free lesson, uh, and it's called uh, The Millennial Man. It's one of our historical lessons. It's the first one. It's called The Millennial Man. It covers the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, where Nebuchadnezzar, here's my quick answer, has a dream of this large idol, and this huge image is made with a head of gold, the chest and arms are of silver, the belly is of bronze and the thighs, the legs are of iron, the feet are iron and clay, and then he sees a stone cut without hands come from the heavens, strike the image on the feet, and it basically pulverizes it, and it all blows away. That idol, idol idolatry was forbidden by the Jewish people in the Ten Commandments. It's forbidden for everybody. Represents the religions of the world, and the head of gold, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, that's the kingdom of Babylon. The arms of silver were the kingdoms of Medo-Persia. The bronze was the kingdom of Greece. The iron was the kingdom of Rome. The feet of iron and clay were the division of the Roman Empire that went with a combination of religion and government. And that's where you've got the, uh, the papacy really ruling uh, the European civilization for over a thousand years. And it says in the days of these kings that uh, God is going to establish his kingdom. We're living in the toenails, the very toes of that image today. So take a look at that lesson. Anyone could ask for that lesson on uh, the millennial man, and it covers that prophecy. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the study guide, actually one of the lessons called uh, Millennial Man. It's part of the historical set of lessons, and we'll be happy to send that to you. Thanks for your call. Next caller that we have is AJ listening from uh, Nebraska. AJ, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Um, my question is, why was Michael punished for watching David dance when he brought the ark into the Jerusalem? All right. Now, Michael, I know it sounds like a man's name, but Michael was the wife of uh, King David. She was the daughter of King Saul. David actually had several wives. Uh, she wasn't punished for watching him dance. She was punished for mocking him. And it doesn't say David punished her. It basically says that she never had children. She was never with, blessed with children. And I think another reason that Michael never had children is because there were some people that wanted to see the Benjamites, the descendants of Saul, back on the throne. And if God had given children to David through Michael, a lot of people would say, well, naturally, it should be the children of David and Saul as opposed to the children of David and Bathsheba. And it ended up being Solomon, the daughter or rather the uh, son of Bathsheba. So there were a couple of reasons. She shouldn't have been mocking her husband for worshiping the Lord. And uh, she did not like that he humbled himself, took off his robes, and he was wearing the simple linen ephod like a priest. Good question. Thanks so much, AJ. We've got uh, Patrick listening uh, also from Nebraska. Patrick, welcome to the program. Yes, good evening, uh, Pastor uh, Doug and Pastor Ross. Um, my question is concerning the identity of Machizadek. If Pastor, Ambassador, uh, uh, if you could uh, elaborate on that some, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we're, well, we know that Melchizedek is a type of Christ because here, Abraham coming back from the battle with the kings of the north, Melchizedek, who is the king and priest of Salem, later known as Jerusalem, same place, um, Abraham pays tithe to him. So he's someone who seems to be a worshiper of the true God. It says he's the priest of the Most High God. And you think, what's he doing in Canaan? Somebody that worships the true God. Uh, some have speculated, and you can't really prove it, but it, it is a workable theory, 
that uh, one of the sons of Noah, who was still alive, Shem, lived over 600 years. His life overlapped with the life of Abraham over 100 years, um, I think 170 years. And so um, some have said, well, after Abraham moved because of the idolatry that was in Ur, that Shem may have also heard that God had led Abraham to this promised land and he had come with his clan and settled there. We don't know that. It's just one theory. And uh, he appears mysteriously out of nowhere. The Bible doesn't say who his people are, where he came from, where he went to. So he's sort of a type of Christ in that he's without beginning or end. Biblically, he just appears and disappears. And if you read from the book of Hebrews, Paul does spend quite a bit of time talking about Melchizedek as a type of Christ. He was both a priest and a king. And apparently Abraham recognized this because Abraham, the great patriarch, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And uh, that's a little different. The Levites came through the, the seed of Abraham, but here is Melchizedek of a different type of priesthood. And Paul says that's the type of priesthood of Jesus. All right, great question. Thank you. Carol is listening in California. Carol, welcome to the program. In Revelation, some things are literal and some things are symbolic. And in regards to the 144,000 people that will, will be uh, alive when Jesus comes, um, how is that interpreted? Well, the 144,000, you find them mentioned in Revelation 7, and then double that, you find them mentioned in Revelation 14. The 144,000, um, they are not the only ones saved. I do believe the number is literal, but I think this is a number that is basically describing the last day apostles around the world. You know, Jesus had 12 apostles that prepared the people of Israel for his first coming and introduced him at Pentecost. And then before his second coming, he'll have 12 times 12,000, both literal, literal and spiritual Jews. And so um, I, I think that, you know, calling them children of Israel, that's symbolic because those that are Christ are Abraham's seed. God is not going to be raising up 12,000 from the tribe of Gad or Manasseh, they don't exist anymore. They intermarried before Jesus was born and disappeared. So it's basically saying that God's going to have these last day people filled with the Spirit doing a work similar to the work of the apostles, preparing a great multitude for Jesus' coming. Now we have a book on this. We'll be happy to send you a free copy, Carol. Yes, the book is called Who Will Sing the Song? Understanding the 144,000, a book written by Pastor Doug. And we'll be happy to send this to you, Carol, anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. Just ask for the book on the 144,000. It's called Who Will Sing the Song? And we'll get that in the mail and send it to you. Uh, next caller that we have, let's see, we've got uh, Elisa, uh, Elisa listening from Michigan. Elisa, welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call. I know that it's best um, with prophecy unfolding like it is to be out of the cities and into the country. My question is, in the time of where we can't buy or sell and the blue laws are there, how are we going to live? Because we may have a mortgage and probably land taxes if we don't have a mortgage. So that is what I'm wondering about. Good question. Um you know, I think the last thing to happen would be that banks will not take your money. When you, when you can't buy something, that's different. But if you're trying to pay, uh, pay someone back for um, a property or a mortgage, they'll probably accept payment. Uh, but it's going to be hard for people to buy. 
Now, when it says they can't buy or sell, not only will that be happening on a personal level, that's already happening. It's in the news today on an international level. They call it economic sanctions. When one nation tells another nation, we are not going to allow you to buy. It's been in the news a lot lately with Russia and some of those sanctions. So, um, you know, I think that's the bigger part of what's happening in Revelation is that the United States and other nations are going to punish parts of the world that don't go along with religious laws. But it, it's also going to happen on an individual basis, and it'll be very easy to control. I mean, even now, you know, we've seen that uh, with COVID, there's been a lot of government involvement in personal things, travel and purchases, can't go to certain stores. So it's very easy to see with electronic money how quickly this could happen. Hope that helps, Elisa. Pastor Ross, I see we've got two minutes left. Let me just share a couple things with our friends. We may have time for one more question, but I want to squeeze this in. If you didn't hear at halftime, we shared an announcement in two weeks. Pastor Ross and I are going to be, <laughs> we're going to Vegas. But we're going to Las Vegas. We're going to be at the Paradise Church. That sounds suspicious already, doesn't it? <laughs> Honest friends, it's a church. And we're going to be sharing a brand new series. It's called Inspiration, the Bible's Greatest Stories. You can be part of it. We want you to come. If you can't come in person, you can come by watching. You can watch right here on AFTV, Better Life Television, Three Angels Broadcasting, YouTube, Facebook. Go to that website called www.greateststories.org and you can get the information. You can also just go to the Amazing Facts website and you'll find more information there on Inspirations, the Bible's Greatest Stories. It's going to be 10 presentations on some of the great stories in the Bible, how they teach us the Bible truth, and also how to experience revival in your life. We, we all want that. Uh, you know, one more thing I thought I'd share is, first, we will be signing off with our national satellite channel that is carrying a Bible Answers Life. But don't go away, because we come right back for all those that are listening online or the land-based stations, and we will be um, taking a rapid-fire series of questions for two minutes. Pastor Ross, if someone wants to send us, not everyone can call in or not everyone wants to get on the radio and call in with their question. If they want to email us questions for the rapid fire, what's the address for that? The address is just simply balquestions at amazingfacts.org. Again, that's BAL, Bible Answers Live, questions at amazingfacts.org. If you're watching this on social media, you can actually type your question there in the comment section uh, and we'll try to gather those questions together put them uh, down and try and answer as many of them as we can during our special two-minute segment that's going to be coming up in like 10 seconds from now, Pastor Doug. That's right. And uh, also, don't forget, check out everything else that's available through the ministry at amazingfacts.org. We'll be back in just a few moments for our other audience. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Hello, friends. Welcome back. We have about two minutes, Pastor Doug, to answer some of the questions that have been sent into the program. We've got some great questions this evening. I'm curious about the answer. So let's get started. The first question that we have is, is there a biblical example of when you have to love your enemy? Yeah, I think there's probably several examples. You've got the example in the Bible where King David had an opportunity to get vengeance on King Saul. Saul was actually hunting David to kill him. And on two occasions, David uh, just providentially 
uh, basically had an opportunity to pin Saul to the ground or to kill him. And he said, I won't do it. And he let him go free. And he even told Saul, he said, look, I can kill you right now, but I'm going to let you go free. And he loved his enemy. Elisha forgave a whole army that was trying to capture him and said, feed them and send them home. All right. Very good. Another question that we have. What does it mean to love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul? Well, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And when we love the Lord with all of our heart and all our soul, makes me think of that, that uh, statement you find in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I think it's verse 29 where he said, Oh, that all of my people would love me and keep all of my commandments always, that it might be well with them and their children. And so we show that we love the Lord with all of our heart by doing all that we know he wants us to do. Okay, another question that we have. Can our dead family members hear us speak to them? Uh, do they know what's happening with us here on earth? Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that we are not to consult the wizards that mutter and peep in the dark, and that's in Isaiah chapter uh, 8. Should the living go to the dead for knowledge? The uh, Bible tells us that in the last days, the wicked will be, they're devils working miracles, you read in Revelation 16. Satan can be transformed into an angel of light. He can impersonate the spirits of the dead, as happened with the witch of Endor. The living know they'll die. The dead don't know anything. They do not return to their house, Job 14 tells us, and haunt the house. Okay, another question that we have is, how long does it take to be right with God after repenting of sin? Now, that's good news. The Bible says that as soon as we repent, he immediately forgives. You see this where the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me? Right away, Jesus promised, you will be with me in paradise. When Zacchaeus came to Christ, Jesus declared, this is a son of Abraham. When Isaiah said, I am a sinful man, God cleansed him and said, your sin is purged. So as soon as we repent, he forgives. That's the good news. That is absolutely. Again, thank you, friends, for your Bible questions. If we didn't get to your question this evening, make sure you join us next week as we try to answer more Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.